Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, we started a short series yesterday on how to study and understand the scripture. And yesterday, we just kind of asked the question, if I'm a brand new Christian, where do I begin? So uh, if that's you, uh, just subscribe to our podcast, The Gospel for Life, and you can catch yesterday's uh, broadcast. Today, we're asking the question, how does the Bible fit together? You know, there's over 40 different authors. It's written in three different languages. It's kind of over the course of 1,500 years with different genres. There's law, there's wisdom books, there's prophecies, there's history, there's letters. With all of this diversity to Scripture, is there a basic unity to it? There is a basic unity because God is its author. Unlike uh, even a modern textbook, you know, you find a textbook that was written maybe 15 years ago, things have changed. But because God is the author and because God doesn't change it and change, he, he says, uh, you know, the grass withers, the flower fields, but uh, not so the word of God, it remains forever. There is a, there is a consistency there. And so, as we said yesterday, the, the same overall questions are getting answered every time. You know, what do I learn about God? What do I learn about people? What do I learn about relating to him? What do I learn about relating to others? Those things don't change because God and humanity haven't changed. And so that's the, um, that's one of the reasons why it holds together. But as an author, you know, those prophecies hold together because they're all leading to the coming of Christ. Everything that, you know, not one word of the Lord falls to the ground. It, it accomplishes its purpose. So whether the writers of Scripture, um, the human authors, actually knew as fully what they were writing about, some it says in First Peter that they actually looked to see what the Spirit of God was telling them. They were inquiring. They wanted to know because they were moved to write certain things. As a result, those certain things were all leading to an understanding of who God is. Mm-hmm. It's one thing for us to say that the Bible has one unified message. Um, it's quite another to, to know that Jesus said that the Scriptures have one unified message. Mm-hmm. Um, in Luke 24, twice he will say that the, everything that came before in the Old Testament was about him. And so as we're reading the Old Testament, yes, the, the forms are different. The, um, the Westminster will talk about that... They presented the gospel in different ways, but it's still fundamentally talking about the gospel directing us to Jesus Christ. And so as you read a passage of Scripture, one of the fundamental questions always in your mind ought to be, what is this revealing to me about Jesus Christ? A helpful book on that is Jesus on Every Page by um, David Murray. He helps you kind of work through the different types of literature in the Old Testament to say, oh, how, is, how do the prophets point to Christ? How does the law point to Christ? How do the, the narratives, how do the sacrifices, how do all of these different things 
eventually show us Jesus Christ. Um, I'm always fascinated when people talk about the the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, and they say, well, it's just an incredible book about marriage. That's weird that out of 66 books of the Bible that are supposed to be about Jesus Christ, we're going to eliminate one and say, oh, no, that one's about marriage. No, Jesus said, no, they're all about me. So when you read the Song of Solomon, you're not reading a textbook for marriage. You're reading a testimony about Jesus Christ. And his relationship with the church, marriage is secondary. Yeah. If your primary application of the Song of Solomon is to marriage, you've misread the book. Yeah. It's about Jesus Christ because that's what Jesus. But Ephesians five, when he says this is a profound mystery, uh, that is marriage, and he says, and I refer to Christ and the church. So my point in all of that is that we have a lens by which to read God's word. And so often we forget about the lens and we set it aside and we start with us yeah. and we say, oh, no, it, it's a story about me. Yeah. And Christ is saying, well, no, no, ultimately it comes back around to you, Yeah. but don't start there. Let me just add one layer to that. So, so somebody might say, well, I'm not making it about me. I'm just trying to make it about the historical. So take the book of Job. Yep. The book of Job is not about me. It's about Job. Yes, it's about Job, but also it's about Christ. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about Job as a whole, the book of Job starts out with Job, you know, kind of kind of on top of the world. He has all this wealth, he has all these children, and that that's a picture of Christ in heaven. And then he loses everything, and then the whole middle of the book is all of his sufferings, and then at the end God restores him. That's a picture of the humiliation and the exaltation of Christ. And that's a helpful way of reading the book because I remember the first time I, I saw that and I'm like, oh, now when I'm reading Job's prayers, I'm, I'm understanding them from Job's perspective, but I'm also hearing Jesus suffering in, in these verses. That's the redemptive quality of what we read. We read with it, that redemptive uh, nature. I think that one of the th- challenges for people, though, in reading and understanding their their Bible is you mentioned uh, yesterday or today we were talking about prayer being an important aspect of it. That's that's an important. What you need to do when you come to God's Word is you need to humble yourself under it. You know, oftentimes people you might talk to somebody even as you're you might be communicating back and forth what you believe the Bible means, and you, and somebody says, you mean I could have been wrong all these many years? And and they're offended that you actually are sh- showing them where maybe they they have mistaken what God's Word has said. As a believer of the reading their Bible, we need to humble ourselves. We don't know everything. We can't bring all of our presuppositions and say, and and just try to be reading our own answers back in. Yeah. We need to be reading what God has said to about himself, about others, in his word. And Some, that's somebody the biggest once challenge. That, somebody once called that narcissus. <laughs> narcissus. <laughs> Instead of exegesis, it's narcissus, where you read yourself into yeah, everything. Yeah. Yes. I, I think one of the things that I think we need to remember is um, we talked about systematic theology a little bit yesterday, but I, I think biblical theology is actually helpful. There are themes mm-hmm. that run all the way through God's word. And so when we begin to understand those common themes, then we can I better understand the connectedness of, of the Scripture. So one of those is the, the theme of God being with his people. Mm-hmm. 
that's the whole where the story begins in mm-hmm. Genesis of of God dwelling and walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then that is broken by sin. But throughout the Old Testament, you see a God, and the word is that he was tabernacling, dwelling with, um, communing with, his presence with with his people, is a theme throughout the Old Testament. And then the New Testament reinforces that Jesus came and dwelt among us. He tabernacled with his people. Um, And that's how the story ends in Revelation, that the whole great day of restoration is that God is once again going to dwell forever with his people. That's biblical theology, and you can do that with a whole host of different ideas that you can trace all the way through God's Word. Um, Kevin DeYoung boils that down to three Ps, that in the beginning, uh, Adam and Eve enjoyed God's uh, being God's people in paradise, in his presence. That's lost, and then the whole Bible is aimed at gaining that back. And then what do we find in the book of Revelation? We are God's people, we are in paradise, and we are in his presence forever. Right. It's it's the whole story of, of God creation, uh, man's rebellion, and then his rescue mm-hmm. and, and ultimate redemption. Um, that that's why a good Bible overview is good, and there's some there are some good books that do that. One of them is a, a book by Vaughn Roberts, God's Big Picture, tracing the storyline of of the Bible. A very it's it's an, a little paperback book, but it's wonderful. Another one's called Bible Overview by Steve Levy, and uh, you know even another one. Uh, the Big Story, How the Bible Makes Sense Out of Life by Justin Buzzard. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they trace those, those themes. And, they're, and, you know, if you're coming to the Bible and, you know, 66 books is, you know, almost you're going, how do I make sense of all of this? You know, because I might be reading uh, a narrative at one point and then I might be reading, you know, uh, poetry at another point. Those big themes are helpful to come yeah. back to. There's endless possibilities of study, like the fourth question on the Shorter Catechism asks, who is God? And it answers that uh, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. You could take one of those attributes and trace that attribute throughout all of Scripture. And then when you get done, then you can trace the other attribute all through Scripture, and that would be a delightful way to study. Well, knowing the, you know, you mentioned knowing these questions and answers, the wonderful thing. And then by having them in the back of your mind, his holiness is being lifted up. Oh, yes. look, this is, you know, his, his incredible omniscience is here. Yes. His sovereignty is here. Yes. So I'm it's like somebody once said, you know, I had a fair sized library as a young man, and, and somebody said, oh, look at all those books. You know, the Bible sheds a lot of light on those. <laughs> and uh, and you that's know, the second time today I've heard that quote. That's so funny that you brought that. Yeah. Up. So the, the 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 point being is, you can have all these these wonderful books in your library that tell you something about what the Bible is saying, but the Bible is actually informing all of those things, and you can get that by simply reading your Word. It's a kid's book, but another book that helps with an overview of of the connectedness of God's Word is called Grandpa's Box by Star Mead. You don't have to be a kid to benefit from the book. I would suggest it for an adult to to read through and see how each story connects to this big theme of the seed of the serpent being against the seed of the woman, that Satan versus um, Jesus Christ, and how that conflict— 
informs um, the stories of, of the scripture. Mm-hmm. So there are many great refer- books out there that help you see the connectedness, but as Jonathan and, and Josh are saying, maybe the best way to see that is to keep reading through God's word um, and, and say, okay, how does this connect to where I've been before? Mm-hmm. Um, and it might help to actually buy a chronological Bible because how our Bible is arranged is not in chronological order. Um, so you might benefit from a chronological Bible that puts the, the storyline in, in its, its correct order as it played out in history. Also a good uh, study Bible is the Reformation Study Bible by uh, R.C. Sproul. It has all the creeds and confessions in the back. has lots of great articles, lots of great study notes. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we, we talked a little bit about instruction uh, with the mind, uh, but just to mention something before we end on experience with the heart, uh, when you're going through the Psalms, consider after you read like, you know, say Psalm 23, read it, try to understand it, but then pray through it the second time. And, and, and if you don't, you know, I'm using air quotes here, if you don't feel the things that David is saying, then that's a perfect opportunity to say, God, I don't feel like you're my shepherd. Help me to know that you lead me beside still waters and that you lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So those Psalms were meant to be experienced. I know there's been books written on praying through the Psalms. Um, so maybe, maybe Google that. But you've been listening to Gospel for Life. Uh, We're going to continue this short series on how to study and understand scriptures, and we'll see you next time. 